At first I was afraid, I was petrified Kept thinking I can never live without you by my side But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong and I learned how to
want to welcome you to Fountain Springs Church. I've never felt so comfortable on stage in my life. I couldn't find a ginger one of these. They just don't have them in Rapid City, which I'm like, what? Are you crazy? We're in a series today called Decades where we're actually going through the decades starting with 70s. Now, I was born in 84. How many people went through the 70s or were born in the 70s? Come on, give me a little whoop. All right, okay. So you're going to have to teach me about it. But to get nostalgic over this decade, we had some guys from our music team put this lip sync together. So you should probably check it out.
Let's thank them for that. That was awesome. I Actually, the 70s had some amazing music. I used to listen every morning to a record of my dad's. I'm sorry for those that are older. But I used to listen to these records, and my, my family hated it. But I would listen to all these songs. And just listening to them again is just like takes me back to those times. If we look at the 70s, we have to actually, if we're summing up historically what's going on in the 70s, we have to first start in the 60s. What did the 60s leave us with as we started the decade? And the 60s was this understanding of if it feels good, go ahead and do it. So the 70s, coming out of the 60s with that mentality, we really had this understanding of everything's allowed, let's push the label on stuff, let's do things we may not necessarily do, and psychology caught up in the 70s. And what psychology did was it really allowed us to excuse ourselves. Now I'm going to talk about three things that happened in the 70s where that was the case, but I could literally talk for hours on what happened in the 70s and that that was a generalization of that decade, that we were excusing ourselves for selfish behaviors. Don't believe me? Let's take a look. So Richard Nixon, the Watergate scandal, right? There were these times where Richard Nixon decided to use his office and his power to videotape conversations and steal documents and do these things that really he needed to carry on his political career. And he was excusing himself for his behavior. Well, it caught up with him. He actually ended up resigning from office. And it's amazing to see this information roll out. I mean, as he resigned, he puts up the victory sign and it's like he doesn't get why he's resigning in a way. Because he was okay with the excuses. He was okay with where he was at. Now this next one's a hot topic, Roe versus Wade. It's actually gaining steam yet again because back then it was this setting this precedent of how we were going to deal with abortion. Now I'm not, I'm not here to sway you one way or the other. I'm just basically saying that happened in the 70s where this lady decided to just excuse herself. And I'm not, those aren't my words. She actually wrote two books about it where she was saying, I was selfish, and I decided to do this. And she pushed a society into this issue that we weren't thinking about. And the last one was, really it happened kind of in 69 going into the 70s, and that was this divorce bill that was passed that allowed divorce for any reason whatsoever. And so now you didn't have to have a reason to get divorced, and it excused all sorts of behavior as far as marriage was concerned. Marriage wasn't as sacred as it used to be. And so what we find is this just, this overarching, we're allowed to give excuses. Now we know what an excuse is. We've heard them. We've given them. And usually an excuse starts with one word. And that's the word because. I did this because. And then we give this answer. Now, if you look at the etymology of the word because, it breaks down into two words, and that's by cause. We want a cause for the reason why we behave a certain way. I looked at that online because. I watched that movie because. I went outside of my marriage because. And whatever it is, we're really saying the cause of my behavior is this. 
Now, if we really think about it, the 70s wasn't when we just start, started to excuse ourselves. We've been excusing ourselves since the beginning of time. In fact, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we look at a story where Adam and Eve are in the garden. And in the garden, it was perfect peace. It was harmony and relationship with the Father. In fact, it says that they walked with the Father each day. There was this communion and this beauty and all these, they, they had animals to name and they ate whatever they wanted, excluding one thing. They were told by God, do not touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the only rule. Everything else was allowed. In fact, they were naked and unashamed. Amen? No? Okay. All right, we'll just keep going. They did not, there was no sin, there was no separation from the Father. And then, all of a sudden, they decided together to eat this fruit. And let's jump into the story, because I think it's important to read it. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Something changed, God, between this moment yesterday and today are completely different. And it's because now I know I'm naked and there's something off. There's something different about you and I now, and I'm hiding because I don't know what you're going to do. And then it goes on. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Oh, it's because I'm naked. Hold on, no, it's her fault. I did this. I went outside of your rules. I'm sorry about that, but it's really not my fault. It's her fault. And then he turns to the woman. Why'd you do it? What's your reason behind it? What's your because? Well, I did it because the serpent, and it's not my fault any longer. See, you and I are just like this. This is when that started. Back in the day, we began to excuse ourselves for behaviors. If I want it and it feels good and I, I should be able to do it and no one should tell me what to do. Uh-oh. Right? Oh, well, just come up with an excuse. It'll be okay if you're, you know, and, and not all excuses are bad. Like, if you show up to work sick, we want you to go home. We want you to excuse yourself and go home because we don't want to get sick. Now, excuses, and that's what we're going to talk about today in this sermon, is that excuses aren't always bad, but they can be. And we can certainly allow bad behaviors because of excuses. In fact, a psychologist in 1977, her name was Ellen Langer, and she was at Harvard University. She studied this human behavior of excusing ourselves by creating a study at a library. And what she did was she put a team together and they would go into the library and anytime someone was standing in line waiting for the copier, they would ask a question, one of three questions. So I want to show you those questions. The first one was, excuse me, I've got five pages, may I use the Xerox machine? So really no excuse. Just, 
I have pages to make, right? We, we can all see that. The second one is, excuse me, I've got five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush? Okay, so because I'm in a rush is the excuse, right? And then the third one we see, excuse me, I've got five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I have to make copies? So we see no excuse here. We see an excuse that seems logical. I'm in a rush. But then in the third excuse, we don't, it doesn't make logical sense. Duh, all of us are waiting for the copier. We all have to make copies. So let's see how the results landed. So 60% of people with no excuse were allowed to cut line. But this is what's really interesting and what she found in her study is it doesn't matter if the excuse makes logical sense to us. We allow people to cut in line. Let me give you an example. You're at a stoplight on Main Avenue. It's negative 1,000 outside. You don't want to roll down your window, but you need to get in front of these people. So you knock on your window and you make a fool of yourself to get over in front of them. How likely is the person to let you in? Well, according to this, 94, 93%. Because you have an excuse. You're giving them an excuse. I've got to get over. I, I just, it was a horrible mistake on my part to be in the wrong. You've lived here for like 35 years. You know what I mean? Get in the right lane. But we will allow it. But if they cut us off, you better believe we're going to show them some symbols and some words because they didn't give us an excuse for the behavior. See, humans, as humans, we want someone to give us an excuse. In fact, any hor uh, atrocity that happens, like shootings, school shootings, we always want to go, what's the reason? There had to be a reason because he wouldn't do this or she wouldn't do this if there was no reason. Because we as humans, we navigate the world through excuses. I was reading a book, because I, I love doing this, but it was, it's a book called Stranger in the Woods. And it's this account of this young man who in 1986 drove his car all the way up into the uh, hills of Maine and parked it. He ran out of gas, he throws the keys on the dashboard, he walks into the mountains, and he lives there for the next 27 years. Nothing else, just his clothes on his back. He picks a spot. He goes, I just want to live here. And he begins over the next 27 years to only talk to one person. It was a runner that was just passing by. And this, he goes, hey. And it's just like this casual, you know, hey to hey. And he, he kind of got scared because he was deep in the woods where no one could see him. He's like, hey. And that's the only word he spoke for 27 years. Well, he got arrested and what they found out was that he was going to these summer homes and or campsites and stealing. It's estimated that he stole 40 times a year. Now, what was he stealing? The things he needed to survive. He needed propane to cook his food. He needed food. He needed things to entertain himself. So he stole TVs and he stole just different items. And as I was reading this book, I'm like, you got to get me there. You got to help me understand why is this guy wanting to be a hermit? Now, from a historical standpoint, there's lots of reasons people become hermits. In fact, there's some political ones and there's some societal ones and there's just all these other reasons. But the author just basically said the only reason, his excuse, was that he wanted to be alone. And the best way he knew how to be alone was to go into the woods and try to stay alone. And for 27 years, he was successful. But here's what I'm trying to get at. 
Here's a man who grew up in basically Pennsylvania. His family was awesome. They were a straight and narrow, very moral family. They did not believe in stealing. And as the author uncovers all this, he's basically like, you were willing to change your moral system because you wanted to be alone. And that's the best answer you can come up with. Uh, Give me more. Well, because I wanted to be alone. I don't see what the problem is with that. In fact, let me show you his campsite. He stole all sorts, everything that he owned in this campsite was stolen. And it's because he wanted silence and solitude. Now we look at this guy and we go, weirdo. But I'm going, that's us. Every single one of us, every single day is given an opportunity to excuse our behavior, whatever behavior it is. Well, I want to live in the woods because this, that's, that's my reason. And I don't care what you think about it. Or I want to do X, Y, and Z because that's what I want to do. And then all of a sudden we get caught and we go, well, what's, what's wrong with this? I don't see what the problem is. But we all know what the problem is. We're excusing bad behavior because we just want to do it. Let us. I, when looking at, you know, the way that Jesus set things up, when looking at the fact that humans need an excuse for their behavior, I started to wonder, I wonder how Jesus came into the fabric of that understanding when it comes to humans. What I mean is, here's a God who came in the form of man. He decided, it says, to humbly live as a man, Emmanuel, God with us. Which means his divinity, he comes straight down and he goes, Father, I'm going to do your will on earth, which means he gets to go to a lot of places where people don't necessarily like him. He gets to be in moments where people ask him, why are you washing your disciples' feet? There are moments where this man, the rabbi, the teacher, the one who's healing people, the one who literally is the savior of the world, is bending his knee to wash his disciples' feet. That's an ex- there's an excuse for it, but it's an excuse in the positive. It's this excuse of, I'm going to do this because I love you so much. I'm going to do this because this is the kingdom standard. I'm not going to allow bad behavior. See, here's the reality. He did not have to come. He willingly came. He willingly laid his life down. And when he left... He left his church this mandate and this compelling reason to do things. 1 John 4.19 says, We love, you and I, everybody here, the church, in general, globally the church, we love because the sole reason is he first loved us. He loved us so much that he was willing to come down from the right hand of the Father and lay his life down. This is what my kingdom's about, he said. You can excuse your behavior, but that's called selfishness. I'm here as a selfless leader to lay myself down. Now, when I think of people who have done this, the first person that comes to mind is Mother Teresa. I was reading in a book that she, in Calcutta, she would receive donations from around the world. 
And most of those were, you know, either food or clothing or shoes or whatever. And this one author who I love reading says that what she would do, because he lived with her for a bit, he says that what I noticed was every time she got shoes, she would take time and fit shoes to each person. And each person would get the shoes that they needed to grow into. It wasn't this, like, where you're at now. She would always give them space to grow because she knew that the donations wouldn't come as often. And what he found was he watched her, and he found that she ended up with shoes that didn't fit her feet. And he asked, he asked everybody else because Mother Teresa would never talk about it because she was too humble to even speak about things like that. But what they found was her feet are knobby and gnarly. I, I tried to put a picture up here. They were like, please don't. Like, it's gross. Her feet were arthritic. I guarantee you she had pain. But she never once, in any of her recounting stories told about her, never once said anything about these shoes. Why? Because his love compelled her so much that she was willing to take second. She was willing to take something nobody wanted because that's... He did it. I might as well do it too. She had a reason, and the reason was more compelling than not doing it. The compelling reason was this person, Jesus. My wife and I, we, a year ago, before we moved here, we adopted two kids that we'd been raising in foster care for about three and a half years. And the thing you don't know, maybe, is that they had, there were five siblings in this family, so we adopted the youngest two, and there were three left with no home to adopt them. And so over the years that we fostered, we got opportunities to take another one of the siblings on, and we always had an excuse. Our house isn't big enough. Well, what if this happens, and what if that happens, and la, 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 all just excuse after excuse after excuse. God, we hear you. We see the opportunity. We just don't. We're good. We've got two. We're, we're normalizing their situation. We're getting them the therapy they need. We're doing all the things you ask, God, but he's just knocking slowly and steadily at our hearts, saying, take him. So zoom forward a little bit, and in the time that we adopted them and Christmas time, this last year, God puts it on our heart. We pick him up and we take him to a Christmas outing. There's like a million people in our family. So we're going to put him in this situation and go, how does he do? And the minute we picked him up, it was my wife and I. He looks at us and he says, mommy and daddy, when can I come live with you? And right then God goes, right now. Like this is the moment where you stop excusing yourself for all the reasons why you have excuses. So over that period of time, we spend time with him. He, he's out on the back. We're playing, you know, shoot the bad guys and all this stuff. Like all these games that you play at these events. And he turns around and he says, Dad, this is the best day of my life. To me. And I go, bro, I've seen you eight times in five years. I did nothing to deserve the dad statement you're giving me. I'm, I'm, if anything, I've run from the responsibility. And God in that moment goes, but you can stop running and actually do what I'm asking you to do. So we're in the process of adept, uh, adopting Seth. Now, I, oh, it sounds heroic, right? No. I, the minute God says yes, I went, we just bought a three-bedroom, three-bath house. That means our family's four now. We've got a great name, cats and everything else. We just exhausted our savings account. Like, could you told us, like, Two or three weeks ago, we would have bought a bigger house. 
And God's going, no, I've placed you exactly where you are because other people need to step up and help you. Their because and their reason needs to match your reason and it needs to be completely different. They're not going to take this young man on. You are, but they're going to come along and support you. So my wife calls Katie, who ends up calling a construction guy named BJ. And BJ is a fountain springer. He also moonlights as a person who helps foster families get set up for new kids. So he rushes over to our house and he puts a Menards list together. And right now, as we speak, he's building a room in, in, in our home for this young man to come in our house. Now, this is the hero of the story. Other Fountain Springers have given financially and has, have helped us. And here's the reality. We could not say yes with our because if somebody else didn't step up and say the same thing. I mean that with all that I'm saying to you right now. I mean that. We could not take on the responsibility if BJ did not step up and go, I'm here too. You know this dude and his wife, they foster as well. They're in the game. They're doing everything they can. Now, you'll never hear about him. And here's the reality. There are so many fountain springers. I could look around the room and tell stories about fountain springers who go, there was this moment when I interacted with the person and work of Jesus. I gave my life to him. I got baptized to show the rest of the world that I'm his. And then all of a sudden, he just chipped away at my heart. He began to change me from the inside out. And now... You know what? I give half my paycheck to a single family. You know what? I fix cars for free because, well, yeah, that's my job, and I, and I do that for money, but I also realize these people don't have the money. Oh, I got respite uh, certified so that I could watch people that have foster kids in their home. When they're exhausted, I, I just come over and I say, can I babysit? And they go, do you have a license? And I, yeah, I do, because I love God. And he's changed me. Imagine, now I, I know there are tons of fountain springers like this, but imagine if our whole church, every single person from young all the way to old, was, were compelled by this movement of God that he was willing to do this, so therefore I will. And then I excuse my behavior for good, not for negative. I excuse my behavior. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to binge watch that show on Netflix, right? When Stranger Things come out, you better believe I'm going to knock that thing out. But I'm also going to do good stuff, right? I'm also going to excuse my behavior to do things out of the norm. When I do an offering that's way above what we're comfortable with, I got to say the reason why is because of Jesus and what he's done, and he's compelling my heart. See, there's a lot of people in the Bible that I could actually speak about, but Paul understood this principle so well. This man who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, he used to kill Christians. His name, if you don't know this, was Saul prior to becoming Paul. He went after Christians and he thought he was just. He thought he was doing the right thing. But then there was this moment when God interacted with him and he encountered this God and it completely changed who he was. He was blind for three days. And through this process, he's learning to not be selfish because all those actions were selfish. I'm going to kill you because the law says... And he was laying down his selfishness and picking up his selflessness. 
And he actually writes this. And as I read this, and I wanted to read it out of Scripture because I want you to be thinking about, if I was Paul in this situation, when would I give up? When would I throw in the excuse card and stop? So 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three says this. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. See, what you may not understand is these these are the same amount of lashes that Jesus himself got before he went to the cross. And they had studied beating people. And they knew that 40 would take him over the edge and he might die. So let's just stop with 39. Here's this man that's been beat to death five different times. I'm out. Dude, my skin can't handle the sun, let alone a whip with cat of nine tails. Right? I'm burning on stage right now. But there, it goes on. We thought we were done. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers and my own people, the Jews. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they're not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, is that not enough? See, I would have excused myself in every single line. The minute someone picked up a stone and threw it at me, I'd be like, I am out. God, you've asked me to do way too much. I'm done. But there's this compelling reason why he doesn't. We're going to look at it. He actually talks about it right here. Verse 28. Then besides all this, I have this daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me, my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. He goes on to say that God's watching me as I say this. Here's a man who went from one extreme excusing his behavior to the other excusing his behavior. He was willing to go all the way to death. He was willing to be beaten and stoned. When they would stone someone, they'd throw them off a cliff and throw stones down. Which, if you can make torture worse, like, that's it. Dropping boulders on them to see how many stones it's going to take to kill someone. Also, I was shipwrecked and I ran away from people and I slept cold. I, I didn't eat sometimes. But you know what? There was this burden on my heart. He actually says his reason in a different scripture. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's saying, guys, come at me, bro. I will do whatever it takes because it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter how hard they try. I will not give up. And here's the reason why. 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Jesus died for me. I will carry that with me. And if it means I have to die as well, I'll do it. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He continues on. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. What is he saying? I will speak with my actions. When nobody knows that I'm shipwrecked, I'm going to get shipwrecked, and then I'm going to get right back after it. He only says this because he's talking to other people that keep talking a different gospel and he's really upset because he's like, you're saying this person's better, but I love Jesus and the reason I do this is, and he tells all of it, otherwise we wouldn't even have the accounts of it. He is willing to go to the extreme. Are we? Are we? I don't know if you are. There's times I feel like, yeah, sure, I'm in. And then I turn around and go, is that what you're asking? Because I don't know. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to feel, can I excuse myself for this negative behavior? Or do I always need to? No, it's not that. It's where is your heart with the Father? When, when When we get compelled by this word, God's spoken to us. We can't do anything else but speak. Every action is a word. Every, every spoken action is this billboard that's thrown up in people, people's faces that say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know why? Because I just paid her bills. You know what I just covered for that person? Because the hands and feet of Jesus are always looking for ways not to be selfish, but to be selfless. And imagine with me today a church that was like that. We'd stop excusing ourselves for selfish behavior. And we'd start excusing ourselves for selfless behavior. I gotta ask you, is your because selfish or selfless? And only you can interact with this question. See, just like Richard Nixon, we can all, we may not end up in the paper. But we are excusing ourselves for a behavior. Oh, it's not that bad, Pastor. It's just a drink here or there. It's just a drug here or there. It's not hurting anybody. I don't, let's be honest, it is. It's hurting you. You are not fulfilled in your because, because the excuse is a negative one. I'm doing that thing and it's not hurting anybody. It's hurting you, friend. Imagine if you today decided to go, God, I hear you. I feel your conviction. I'm sorry. I want to point my life in this selfless way. I want when your Holy Spirit talks to me to interact with that voice, to not ignore it. I want to step into the unknown, not not feeling comfortable, not knowing what to do. Yes, we'll take that young man. We will adopt him. Holy moly. God, did you hear us? I, can you help? We don't, we don't know what to do. Well, you've already adopted twice. It's completely different. 
We're going to mess up the biological order. God, hello, I could, I could write books about how this is a horrible idea. But here's some friends that are going to walk with you. you. And they've got the same excuse you do. Just keep excusing yourself. Keep pointed in that direction. Keep following what Jesus would do. And at the end of that, you will, you will stand before me and I'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been given much. Inherit. You've been given much and you've done much with it. And you did exactly what my father asked. And so did BJ. And so did that person. And so did you. Let's pray. I don't know what you brought in. And I certainly don't know where you are. But I know this. Every single one of us, if we check ourselves against the work of Jesus, we will always go, God, I could probably learn more about how you serve others. There are places in my life, God, that I am selfish. And Lord, it's not works that gets me there, but your compelling reason for loving others is because you laid down your life Your reason was so clear. And God, if we could just get a glimpse of that tonight. God, if we could just get get in your mind and, and think like you think. Lord, selfishness would just go away. It would be so hard to be selfish if we're chasing after who you are. And God, tonight, I just pray over each one of us that if there's something that we need to lay down and we need to pick up who you are, that tonight we would do that and we would walk out these doors in a, in a new way. And that when you move us, we would say yes and we would have a reason for it. And that reason would be you. We ask all this in your son's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, that's our desire as a church that we would continue to live out ways to be selfless and how God is calling us within our lives. Well, we're really looking forward to the rest of this series. We hope you enjoyed today. What'd you think? Yeah? (laughs) 70s is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we have a photo booth right outside. We'd love for you to engage in that. And next week is my favorite decade the 80s, and it just so happens to be my birthday weekend, so we're going to party like it's 1984 next week. So, hey, love you guys. Have a great week. Peace out.